How do you stay on track with your budget when unexpected expenses pop up? Today's episode covers a lot of practical ways to prepare for those unplanned charges. If you find yourself stressed out or discouraged when the unexpected happens, I know you'll take away something helpful from my conversation with Kellyanne. I'm Carly Hill, and this is the Debt-Free Mom Podcast, where we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. You guys know I'm all about finding ways to minimize both clutter and overspending. If you're looking to reduce your clothes spending while still having new styles to try, this is for you. I have a couple events coming up that I'd love to have new pieces for. With the clothes I got from Armoire, I can have multiple high-end options for the price of one outfit. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash debtfreemom. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash debtfreemom to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Today, I'm talking with Kelly Ann, and we're going to talk through a really common frustration in budgeting and personal finance. How do we stay on track when things keep popping up that aren't in the budget? So Kelly Ann, this is not a problem unique to you for sure. This is something that is coming up all the time for other people, and I know definitely for myself. So I'm excited to dive into this with you and work it out for you, and then also so that other people listening can get an example of what maybe they could do to help with that as well. So to introduce yourself, can you tell me just a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, your family? My name is Kellyanne. I am a mom of two. I reside with my husband in New Hampshire. We just got married in July of 2022. We have an 11-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son. I am an executive assistant. I work for a company based out of Greenland, New Hampshire, and my husband is a glazer, so all things glass. If you look at windows, showers, everything in between, he's your guy for all things glass. Okay. Um, I would not have even known that was the word for that. Every time I say that, all I think about is glazed donuts. (laughs) All things glass is what he does. Um, So I have an introduction question that I'm asking everybody just to break the ice and get used to talking about money. That's just more of a fun question. Number one, what would you normally do if you came across an extra $5? Oh, for $5, I would probably go straight to Starbucks. I would get myself a cake pop and a small vanilla latte. Perfect. So far, all of the answers to that question have been in the beverage category of some kind. <laughs> so I think that's what everybody is like, $5, I want my favorite drink. And then what would you do with an extra 5000 Oh, an extra 5000 would probably pay down debt with it. That's an awesome way to use it. Let's talk first about some past attempts at budgeting that you guys have tried. So maybe things that you've done that maybe even they worked for a while, but then eventually something fell apart with that method. So my husband and I, we went through Financial Peace University in the beginning of 2020. And that program itself, I feel like is great if you need a swift kick in the butt for finances. Like if you have no idea what your checking account balance is, if you have no idea what your interest rates are on all of your credit cards and debts. I think that that program is well-suited for that type of person. And it was at the time for us. We found that 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 program particularly was very much a scarcity mindset. Like 
He literally says, you won't see the inside of a restaurant until you're out of debt. And it's just like not necessarily realistic. I want a coffee every now and again and whatever. And so I think that for a fundamental foundation was great to, again, kickstart our finances into like, okay, this is the budget. This is what we can do with it. This is what investing looks like. This really like high level overview. And then I got a really big pay raise. Um, I got like my dream job. And so then we had essentially income creep, basically like our lifestyle just inflated because our income inflated. We paid for our wedding in cash. We had no debt with our wedding, which is great. But we wanted to find a happy medium of like Financial Peace University, the Dave Ramsey method versus like, I want a latte once or twice a week, or I want chips and margaritas out with my husband on a date night. So we wanted to find that happy medium. And so I came across another program that was similar to yours. But again, it was like on a monthly basis. And I just couldn't understand or grasp the monthly concept of a budget. And can you can you share with people what are the two different pay schedules that you are operating on? I get paid on a bi-weekly basis and my husband gets paid on a weekly basis. So really different than trying to put all of it into a once a month budget. And one piece to that too is your income can fluctuate based on overtime or paid leave or whatever the circumstance might be for that particular month or week. And so it's hard to figure out what it is that you're going to be getting paid versus what actually comes in. And then, yeah, I stumbled across your page. I think it was a plug from Diana at The Decluttered Mom. And I started following you. <laughs> She's the best. I started following you. And then, and yeah, and here we are. I signed up for your custom budget. I'm very much one of those people that's like, okay, here's all my money. Now, what do I do with it? It's almost, it's so overwhelming that it's almost paralyzing. And so seeing what you would do with our finances was just really eye-opening to say like, oh, that makes so much more sense to put that over into this category or to like cut this down by a little bit, that seesaw that you talk about. And so that the whole program just really resonated with me. And um, so, yeah, and here we are. So when I built that budget and then sent it over to you, we set it up as a bi-weekly. So each column was your pay schedule and then your husband gets paid weekly. So he gets two paychecks during each of your one pay periods, basically. So as we broke that down, then you're looking at a column being a two week period of time that you have to track and pay attention to the numbers. But then every two weeks, as soon as it's payday, it also means that it's a fresh start for a new budget, a new column that you get to move over. So comparing to a monthly budget, um, does it feel more like it lines up with what's actually going on in your bank account to say, okay, every time it's my payday, it also means that I get to start over? Yeah, it's very much more manageable. And in smaller increments is far more manageable than something a month from now. And it also gives you the motivation to to continue to go, like you only have those short sprints of time where you have to look. It's not as much as I know a lot of people have probably looked at their bank account on a Monday morning after the weekend and you get that ping in your belly of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Or like my balance is way too low. You don't get that as much because you're already on top of it, tracking it so closely for such a short amount. Yeah. I've just found even outside of money, 30 days is a really long time to have to stick to one thing. If we set up the budget where we're like, okay, I'm going to be so much better about my groceries or so much better about my eating out. And then we try to commit to that one amount for 30 days. A couple of things happen. One, that's just a really long time. And then number two, if, and when we 
go over what we thought, then we feel like the whole month is shot, but there might be like three weeks still left in the month. So then we're like, well, screw it. I'm just going to forget it and try again next month, which is a long way away. And we end up damaging our own progress because we're like, well, we might as well just try again next month. And then we spend three weeks just spending, however, waiting for that new month to start. We can feel a lot more permission to let it get messy because we're like, all right, it's, it's December 12th and it's kind of messy, but December 16th is payday. So I'm four days away from restarting. Yeah. It's funny because we all have great intentions with it, with starting a budget, whenever that be like, if you want to budget on a six month basis, go for it. We all have great intentions, but it doesn't necessarily take into account the emotional impact that our budget can have and the emotional impact that a payday can have on your finances as well. So having those short sprints of time, I think really makes a difference. So one of the problems that you had brought up ahead of our time together was this constant fear or frustration that you're missing something. You think that you have a budget nailed down with all the needs of the kids and the house and the cars and everything. And then something pops up that throws you off. And so it takes up a lot of your effort to then rearrange. Can you describe that a little more or give an example of a time where you went from my budget is solid to, oh, this thing came up? I used a program just up until I started using your spreadsheet called YNAB and that had categories in it and it would be linked to your account and the transactions would come in and you essentially would categorize it. So I had a miscellaneous category and every September the kids get school pictures and every September and it was just something that I would miss or forget, but then it's like $55 for this package and we have two children. So, you know, they're $110 right there. Another example is like a girlfriend texted me, oh, can you grab a bottle of wine on the way over? That's not necessarily in my mind, something that's budgeted. Of course I want to, like we're having a girl's night. Yep, I'll grab a bottle of wine, no problem at all. But then it is that when my grocery budget, well, it's not a part of my grocery. So then it just went into the miscellaneous category. So just small things like that I felt kept creeping in on a monthly basis. And then over a month time, I would look back and evaluate my budget. And then all of a sudden, the miscellaneous category with all these small things added up to like $500. No wonder why we're not putting a whole lot of money toward our debt or money into savings or the vacation fund or whatever it was. And it became very frustrating. And so looking at those small things, how can we cut back? What can we do? Do we need to increase our income to cover this miscellaneous budget? But I think at the end of the day, it really just comes down to anticipating those needs and maybe having a buffer. And so where does that come into play? Is it a spending issue? Um, and the psychology behind the money. So when that would happen, would it be that it took away from a goal, like where you started the month thinking like, okay, according to my YDAP plan, we're going to put $400 into savings this month. And then that would be the thing that got chipped away at as the miscellaneous category grew, or would you be shifting from other categories? Specifically to YNAB, it was like the miscellaneous category would go into the quote unquote negative. Your bank account is not in the negative, but that category in and of itself is negative. And so it would be red and it would show a negative number. And then essentially what you do is you can shuffle other things around from other categories to make up for that. We would leave that category as is. And then essentially when we got paid, we would just like cover that category. And so I feel like that is hindering our progress because then we're taking our income, like our ready to be assigned money and putting it towards something instead of moving it forward into, again, like savings account or vacation account or something like that. I spent $6.79 mailing a package to a family member. That was not something that was in my budget. 
I decided to get a car wash one day. Again, that's not something that's in the budget, so that went into the miscellaneous category. My son needed a new hat and gloves for school. And instead of buying something on Amazon, we went to our local Marshalls and that was $28. So again, just like little things that kept coming up that that just stumped us for the month of October. And it ended up being a total of $540. And what's hard about those is that individually, none of them are a bad thing. None of them are too big by themselves. So what do I cut? Which one of these do I not buy? And when we look at them individually too, avoiding sending a $6 package is not going to be the thing that fixes my budget. So I might as well just go and send it. So you're right that it does need to be a different solution other than just don't do those things. That's not going to solve the problem because you're not saying, oh, well, I stopped at Target on my way home from school and blew $300 on nothing. Like that's not what's going on here. It's needed things. It's things that we just need to buy either way. So before we dive into some problem solving and looking at some solutions for this, what would solving this problem or at least decreasing this problem mean for you? What do you picture? Okay. A year down the road, if we were to get this under control, how would that feel or look for you just like personally and mentally, but then also financially? So personally and mentally, I feel like that now is the piece that gives me that ping in my belly of like, oh, I got miscellaneous category. It gets me. That's the point of frustration right now. And so my hope and my goal for that a year from now, mentally and emotionally would be like, okay, no, it's fine. We got this. It's not, it's a little bump. It's $6 at the post office. It's not going to make or break our budget. And also that mentality shift. I feel like when I look at that category in my mind, I'm like, oh, there goes our budget. We'll start fresh next week or next period or next Friday. So I don't want it to ever feel like it's such a point of hindrance that I can't move forward and get past it. We can fix it. It's a kink. No big deal. And then financially, same thing. Feeling like we can cover those expenses. Still send cute packages in the post office to family and not feel like it's a huge burden. As I set up your budget in the spreadsheet, I left a buffer of $80 per pay period, which is $40 a week. So if we look at that across a month, that adds up to just shy of $200 in a month. And consistently you're having miscellaneous spending that's more like $500 a month. But what we want to talk about is, do we need to close that gap? Do we need to increase your buffer or do we need to decrease the spending or maybe a little bit of both? There's a couple of things at play there. Number one, it's okay to not anticipate everything because that will never happen, right? If we make that our goal, we're always going to fall short. And so that's point of leaving that amount left at the top. People bring up the idea of a zero-based budget all the time. And in theory, that's the budget style that I set up, but I never for anyone else's budget or for myself actually plan for that amount left to be zero where it's like every single dollar has a plan in advance because what that does is set us up for exactly what you're describing where one $6 purchase is like, well, now everything's a mess and that's just not real life, right? That is not what we're going to be able to do. So the amount of the buffer is less important than just the idea of having it in the first place. As we look at the buffer that we have left for you of about 80, 90-ish a pay period, we want to ask ourselves, if that's too small, what do we want to pull from in order to leave a larger buffer? And so that's a seesaw that you brought up before of it's totally fine to need a larger buffer. This 
budget gets to be whatever you want it to be. But then we also are forced to recognize I'm working with a set number of dollars here. So if I want a larger buffer, what's the other side of the seesaw going to be? What piece of this puzzle is going to come down on one side so that I can make the other side go up? So what do you think about working towards a buffer of 150 a pay period, which would be 300 a month? Does that sound reasonable? It does, especially because there's sometimes random things that will come up that get thrown into the miscellaneous category. For example, like my husband grabbed a pair of work pants or something. So that's like $50. So it fluctuates month to month. So the 300 a month, I feel like that would give us enough of a cushion to know, okay, we're not going to fail at our budget with that amount of money. I think helping to name a number in advance can also help us to filter through some of those purchases and say, if I've decided that $300 a month in miscellaneous is my tolerance level, then as I approach that 300 or once that 300 is spent, then I'm going to start asking myself, do I absolutely need this today? Or can I wait till next week, especially if we set it up so that it's 150 per pay period, then the 150 buffer for this pay period has been used up. But again, my next pay period is five days away. And I think that's why it's important to have the buffer on every single pay period, because we're always having those things come up. And so it's a lot easier to tell ourselves to wait a few days than it is to wait a few weeks. I think pacing ourselves can have this happy balance between I have permission to spend in that miscellaneous category for things that weren't originally planned, but I also have the self-discipline to wait a little bit of time once that budget buffer happens to be gone. If we want to build in an additional buffer to up to 150 a pay period, we then need to ask ourselves as we scroll through your budget is which categories are we going to decrease by a combined total of $60 a pay period so that the budget buffer goes from 90 to 150. Some of the easier categories to do that, that you have the most control over as opposed to a bill would be food, fun money, entertainment, those kinds of things that you get to pick what you spend in that category. What comes to mind for you of, okay, here's where a combination of these couple things going down could create an extra $60 buffer? So first off, I would say <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> um, I mean, I love a good margarita and chips and salsa, but especially now that it's cold outside, we're eating in more. I'm trying to be more mindful of our grocery budget. Um, I do feel like the restaurant category in and of itself can come down. One other thing that I'm noticing too is our prescription. So I have a thyroid condition. I need that medicine every single month. I know that when I did the custom budget, I had a different insurance at that time. And now that it's changed, I think we can go down a little bit. So that would be like maybe $25 less per month. So with the restaurants, what if we moved a little bit of money around out of restaurants and maybe even out of personal spending and then added like a date night budget. Yeah, I think that certainly makes sense. The other thing that I'm thinking of too, in conjunction with the date night is we have a couple of therapists that we see and it's just, we make it a date night pretty much. So we go to therapy and then we normally will just sit at home and make dinner ourselves. So we could even just like maybe increase the um, 
the couples therapy by like twenty dollars and then dec- and not even have to worry about like a date night because we essentially consider that to be our date night. And honestly, like some small changes add up a ton. So if we did instead of a hundred a pay period for each of you in personal spending, if we did ninety, which is only ten dollars less for each of you a pay period, that would add up to pretty close to where you want to be. So these little tweaks that we're doing, like a little bit here and a little bit here, really does add up to a really different buffer over time. So you have a little bit of flexibility then with, let's see, there's Christmas, there's birthday. I'm just trying to, I'm not saying these are things that need to come down. They're just highlighting the categories that are within your spending power as opposed to a bill, basically. You also can decrease your goal spending. If you had thought that you could put this much in your emergency fund and you need to decrease it just a little bit to have a more comfortable buffer, that is okay because I think that's more realistic and it helps you stick to the budget longer instead of being unrealistic with like, no, I'm putting this much money in my emergency fund and then constantly watching yourself pull it back out of savings is just disheartening and discouraging. And it makes us feel like, well, what's the point? I don't even want to do this. So I personally would rather people Air more on the low side of what they can send to their goals and be excited because what they did send gets to stay in the savings account versus going all gung-ho, putting a ton of money in there and then feeling defeated because you're pulling it back out. So how does that feel to look at an increased budget buffer? Does that feel like it's more reasonable than what we had before? Yeah, it definitely feels reasonable. And it also feels manageable, which I think for me is the biggest piece of like, okay, I can handle our date night with couple therapy and a night out or small dinner. It just seems more, I think for me, (laughs) my poor husband, I'm definitely the spender of the relationship. I feel like a lot of those miscellaneous items do come from me anyway. So I think it's also just like that mentality shift of we might not be able to go and get him a pair of pants or the kids snow gear right now. Maybe we do hand-me-down like just getting more creative with how we go about what we're buying in general. And when those things pop up, so first we just want to record them wherever they are. So once you actually spend it, for example, with the 28 for the kids gloves and hats and stuff, we want to record it in the category that it actually falls. So instead of recording the spending in a miscellaneous category, if For example, on this pay period, you spend the 28 on the kids' clothing. When we record the shopping so that we can track, we want to actually put it into that pay period and that category because unlike a budget app or other tools, this is also building a record for you that you can look back on. You don't lose those pay periods, that information about those pay periods. So over time, we can get more and more accurate because we're like, okay, now we're back to December again. I'm going to look at last December and we needed $40 in clothing because the kids had grown out of their pants and we needed this. So then as we're building that next December's budget, we're so much more accurate than we were the previous December. So that's something to encourage you in too, is that it's all a learning process. And you have this tool now that if you make notes for yourself, You can forget about it for now and just trust that when you're looking at next December's, you're going to have all this information and all these notes and you'll build a much more accurate budget the second time around than you did the first. So it is going to have a learning curve right at the beginning, which is where you are. But I I do want to encourage you that it won't always be that way. And the more notes you can leave for yourself, the easier it's going to get 
over time so that you really can get to that point that you described of a year from now feeling like it's more on autopilot and you are in tune enough with what happened in the past that you don't need to carry the stress of my brain has to remember everything that's going to pop up because your budget can remember or remind you. And another piece of that too is with that learning curve, I feel like a lot of the time we look at our budget and we feel almost like this dread of, oh no, I have to do this because I have to make sure that I'm on track with my goals and on a monthly basis. But for something like this, when you make it more manageable, it's exciting to go in and be like, okay, how much do I have in this category to spend? Or how much do we have left for this pay period? So it definitely makes it more exciting and enticing to keep going. We don't need to carry guilt past when we bought that. Like we buy it, we see the budget, we're like, yep, it works and we can move on. I know that your primary goal right now is to build an emergency fund. And I think that is a second layer of this problem too. When we don't have a budget buffer and we don't have an emergency fund, then that's where we get into this cycle of paying off and adding to our debt over and over because where else is it supposed to come from? So I think the more you are growing your emergency fund, the more we just add another layer of comfort to our budget. You don't need to rely on debt or anything else because I have an emergency fund. I want people to get comfortable with taking $30 out of their emergency fund to cover a one-time expense that just needs to happen. So do you make a note for yourself within the pay period of I took $30 out of my um, out of my savings or emergency fund to cover X expense. And then the other piece of that too is having the discipline to put money back into the correct category or budget or savings account. So the first part, what do we do to mark that we pulled something out? So let's say your budget buffer is gone and your car battery dies and it's $150. If I'm going to need to pull cash from another bank account, I will come up into the budget on the at the top where it says miscellaneous deposits, where it's not income, but it's just like a deposit that we've made. And I'll say I'm depositing $150 out of my bank account. And then I'll go down to the car repair category and add the $150 expense. So it nets out to zero basically because I've deposited 150 and then paid for something out of 150. So that what that allows me to do is, again, feel the security of all my other bills are still taken care of because I have taken care of this unexpected expense out of cash in my emergency fund, not that I'm going to go negative in my checking account. I try to tell people to make your budget match your behavior. So whatever we do in the primary checking account, we want to have that be represented in the budget. And I actually record the expense first. Now from there, I can make decisions about what I want to do to make up the gap. Most of the time for me, it's some combination of slightly reducing restaurant or slightly reducing personal spending and then depositing the rest, the gap from the emergency fund into the checking account. If you're at the beginning of the pay period, it's a lot easier to do that than if you're towards the end of the pay period. And again, that's just the reality of it. And something we really want to work on telling ourselves is not something that's your fault, right? So if the battery dies and it's the day before payday, there's not going to be options for shuffling money around in other categories because it's all been spent and none of that is your fault. And so we 
take the 150, we buy the battery, we transfer out of emergency fund if we need to, and we make a plan for in our future pay periods, depositing the 150 back into the emergency fund. Now, if it happens at the beginning of the pay period, we have a lot more options. So it is a case-by-case basis of what's going to work best depending on where I'm at in the pay period, how much extra I have available to me, and how much this unexpected expense is going to be. I think the seesawing things around is what helps me to be like, as soon as I know about this expense, I'm going to jump into the budget and I'm just going to start playing around with numbers until it looks it looks a way that I'm comfortable with. And hopefully that's a lot more positive than how it felt to do it in YNAB. Nothing's going to turn red in this budget and Nothing's going to tell you that it's all falling apart. Record what happened, and then I get to be the one to decide how we make up that gap. Second part of your question, then, the self-discipline to put that money back. So let's say we had to pull 150 from the emergency fund, and now we're moving on to the next pay period. What do we do in order to make up for the gap between what we thought we would do and what's actually in our emergency fund? So a few things there that kind of just come over time. Number one, when we have an emergency fund amount that is the amount I'm comfortable with, 8,000 is the amount that will sufficiently protect our family from an emergency. When we see the balance go under that, we want to really feel the weight of that deficit. The emergency fund is underfunded. And when the emergency fund is underfunded, I'm unnecessarily exposing myself to risk that doesn't need to be there. So what can I do in the next couple of pay periods to make up for that so that I get back to that comfortable feeling? We want to like the feeling of having a full emergency fund more than we like the feeling of spending that money away. And that takes time. That's hard to do, right? So to get from a very low emergency fund to a high emergency fund often takes a while. We want to give ourselves some benchmarks along the way. If I'm currently at 3000 then my current goal is 5000 Even if you have a future goal down the road of 15 or 20, we just want to say for right now, the only thing I'm working on is getting to 5000 We train ourselves to like the feeling of a full emergency fund more than we like the feeling of spending that money away. It's going to help you to be more focused on that goal. So it does take time and it's not something that is a day like where I'm going to say this to you and then tomorrow you're like, yes, I love having a full emergency fund and I don't like to shop and everything's perfect. It takes time for sure. I don't want to keep feeling like debt is the only thing that can help me. And so I'm going to shift towards something that can help me more. If we just do it a few times and we experience how secure we feel with that full emergency fund, then it's going to become more natural. So hopefully that's encouraging both to you and to people listening that even if it's not natural right now, You don't have to constantly fight to make it feel natural. It's going to feel that way once you do it one or two times. When it seems like there should be more left in your bank account and your money seems too complicated to keep track of, the Debt-Free Mom Custom Budget Service takes the guesswork out of your next budget. Send us your real numbers and you'll receive two versions of your pay period budget. The original, so you can see how your money is currently flowing, and a suggested budget with changes we recommend to prioritize your money goals. Sign up for your custom budget today at debtfreemom.co slash custom. 
in the past, how have you felt when something popped up? Well, before we even started budgeting or were aware of our budget and our finances at all, we would go straight to credit cards, like instantly just cover it and then move on from there. We'll take care of it when we get the bill next month. That mentality quickly changed after reviewing our finances and seeing the numbers and being given that information of the emotional impact of looking at the credit card statement. We didn't want to continue to go into debt for whatever it was, even if it was something like the car battery or like needing new tires and things like that. Um, I think even still now, there are some things that come up. It's that feeling of, oh, there goes the budget for the next week or, oh, we'll figure it out next pay period or, oh, we'll figure it out in the next couple of weeks. Um, but again, having that buffer and having the knowledge to know that's just a speed bump and not something that's going to completely halt your budget is is a far better feeling than the overwhelming angst of going into credit card debt over something like that. This is something that other people say, but it's very true and applies here. It's like when the when the pain of the debt becomes more than the pain of adding money to savings, that's when we're going to start seeing our savings grow. Do I want to feel uncomfortable because I'm so far in debt? Or do I want to feel uncomfortable because I'm adding money to my savings, which over time is actually going to make me more comfortable instead of feeling uncomfortable about debt, which is just going to continue to make me more and more uncomfortable. And so when we recognize that those are our two choices, then we start to say, I'm no longer shying away from the discomfort of adding to my savings because that's actually going to help me feel more and more secure over time instead of what I was falling back to, which was the credit cards, which are actually making me feel more and more insecure over time. Yeah. Like that longevity of it, um, of that, like the detrimental thought behind the debt is far worse than taking care of it with the cash on hand and then readjusting your budget after the fact. And so in a perfect world, I wish that one of the choices had no discomfort associated with it at all, right? Don't we all? And so if that's not true, what is on the table for me is this level of discomfort that will harm my finances over time or this certain level of discomfort that will grow my finances over time. Then we're like, oh, those are the two choices. And so I'm going to head in this direction because it's adding to my security instead of taking away from it. One thing I did want to mention, so there's always going to be a certain level of expenses that we just can't anticipate or foresee until they actually happen. But I do think that as we become aware of our expenses and as we track things, we might notice the miscellaneous is always showing up in a specific category. So it could be clothing, it could be food, it could be cars. But if you do notice trends over time of it's almost always related to the kids, then what we want to do as we look forward, as we're planning your pay periods, we want to say, okay, let's try to just budget $50 a month to kids supplies or whatever you want to call it and see how that impacts your budget and how much you have to rely on the buffer. And if you don't use all of it, you could set it aside or you could just let it become part of your buffer and say, hey, we got to the end of the month or the end of the pay period and we didn't need that $40. So guys, let's go get some ice cream or whatever. And make it fun to reward yourself of like, hey, I adequately protected our budget in case we needed miscellaneous stuff and we actually didn't. So we're going to go celebrate. We're going to go have fun with it because then I think rewarding yourself for planning appropriately will also help in the future with, hey, I want to do that again. And as we do that, even just a really small handful of times, again, we're going to get to a point where we're like, 
oh, I see the merits of that. I understand why it's helpful. And so I'm actually excited to do it again instead of being like, oh, I have to budget $40 for kids stuff. So if you think about, like you said, October was a big month for miscellaneous and you had to pick like two or three categories that it fell into, what would you say those were? Not to blame my children, but I do feel like a majority of it was the kids stuff, like I said, school pictures had to cover for both kids, which I do feel like I should have anticipated in the beginning. And then another thing was the field trips that had come up for my daughter. She just entered into middle school. And so she was taking um, some field trips with her class and then with band separately and then with a science thing. So again, like little things that had just come up, I think the, the kids. If we say that wasn't just a one-off thing, it wasn't just a random October thing, but it's actually a typical thing, what we would want to do is in your budget, then look forward to the pay periods that haven't started yet. And even if it's something small, I'm going to put $20 in every pay period for kids supplies, because I'm just going to go ahead and assume that there's going to be like a class gift or a book fair or a friend's birthday party or whatever, and get in front of the eight ball. That just doesn't change the numbers of the budget. Cause it's like, whether it's $20 in the buffer or $20 in the kids category, it's the same thing. But what it does provide you is a feeling of we're spending on budget instead of spending off budget. So do you think that would help? Do you think like having even just a small amount of kids expenses already planned into the budget would make you feel like it was less annoying to have those things pop up? For sure. I swear when I go to the store and I know that I have the category budgeted and I'm within my budget, I it's, you walk out of that store feeling so much more refreshed and successful in your budget, knowing that you're getting what you need, your children are being fed, they're being clothed, they're getting their pictures taken for school, you can give them as gifts to grandma, and you're not completely breaking the bank. So I think over after a few months, it becomes a trend. And then we'll take that trend of say $40 and just add it into the budget. That mindset shift around that category, it just becomes something that um, you can get a little bit more excited about or something like more natural rather than feeling so, so burdensome. If we are constantly feeling that frustration of I'm trying to plan and these little things are taking away from it. But when we put the little things into the plan, then we're like, oh, the plan is working. The plan is happening. And so then as we send little bits of money to our emergency fund, we're like, oh, I covered the kids stuff without being frustrated by it. And I sent a little bit of money to the emergency fund. That's a successful pay period. And when we can tell ourselves that we were successful instead of trying to tell ourselves that we were unsuccessful, it just adds to our confidence. And when we become confident in it, then we're like, oh, what can I do next pay period to make it even better, to make it even more successful, to send even more money to the emergency fund? We just need that little bit of push at the beginning to be like, it is working and it will continue to work. I think you're right on the cusp of that. Just even the things that you're describing, I'm like, she is already aware of that. So close to getting to that point. I know you said, I want to be on autopilot and our money is just flowing through this plan. So I'm super excited for you because it's, you're not far away at all. Thank you. I'm very much excited and looking forward to that as well. It takes work and it takes that initial sting of um, looking at your finances as a whole and then being able to break it down and figure out what you can change as a couple or a person, individual. Yeah, it's enlightening. One other thing I just remembered. So something that you could do as well with your budget is you can add a blank tab on onto the document if you want to. And you could even call it like random expenses for next year or something. And then when something pops up and you're like, oh, shoot, 
school pictures shouldn't be a surprise next year. So you could just write down September kids pictures, $110, but just keep a running note for yourself of the month or the date or whatever, what the expense was and how much it was. And so then when you're building your budget forward, then we can be like, okay, this is going to be the year that pictures are already in the budget long before it actually happens. And it just makes you feel better. I was going to buy them anyways, whether we put them into the budget or not, I was going to buy them. So I might as well just put them in there and feel like it's part of the plan. Do you have any questions for me related to this or anything outside just budget finances, anything at all? So I've been thinking about any of the questions that I would want to ask you. And, but one thing that came up was about used cars and paying in cash. As I was reviewing, even prior to me sending in my request for a custom budget was our car payment. So last year we got two brand new cars. And there was like buyer's remorse almost with our cars. We had gone from having no car payment to now having two brand new cars with a very large car payment. When you get to that point of having those car payments, how can you get out of that in a way that you can purchase a vehicle, an older used vehicle with a little bit of higher miles? The emotional thought of making my car payment is worse of a feeling than the pleasure I get of actually driving my car. And so... I don't want to change that because I don't want to feel this payment is just crushing us. I feel like it's not allowing us to reach our goals. And then the feeling I get into my car, I now have this resentment toward this new car. I'm like, why did I do this? It was such a silly choice. I love it. It's great. It has all the bells and whistles, but not ideal for our family. So how would you advise somebody to navigate that? So the range of choices are you can go gung-ho on paying it off, which I think at the balance that it currently is, it would take a while and would need extra income in your budget in the first place in order to accelerate the payoff there. Depending on the interest rates, which looking at your interest rate on one of them, it's not crazy high. So I don't know if refinancing would help all that much. And then the only other the other option within that is to look at selling it or trading it in for something else. The thing to be super aware of or to run the numbers on is to ask if you are what's called upside down or not, which means that your amount owed is greater than the current value of the vehicle, which typically happens in a non-2022 time. If you bought a new car last year and you're paying on it, it's almost always going to be upside down at that point because the value drops quickly right after purchase. However, the car market right now is so crazy that there's actually a decent chance that the resale value of your vehicle is somewhere close to, if not more than the amount that you owe. So I'm just going to throw out numbers that are not your numbers. Let's say you bought a car for a new car for $25,000. A year later, you might owe $22,000 and the car is only worth $19,000. So that's called upside down by 3000 because the car is worth less than the loan balance. But what's happening right now is that there's such a shortage of new and used vehicles that when people want to sell their car, people are willing to pay a lot more than we normally see, which means that somebody who bought a car for $25,000 last year and owes $22,000 on it might actually be able to sell that car for $24,000, which means that the loan is gone and you profited $2,000. Well, not profit is you're left over with 2000. So in that case, then you really do have options for 
getting out of the payment because you could be left with the loan being gone, the payment being gone, and some extra. It's a spectrum of how out of the box are you willing to be with the choices you make? Because what you could do after that, it, let's say you at least could break even. You sell it and the loan is able to be paid off and maybe you're not left with anything extra, but you're not underwater. In that case, if you don't have enough cash to pay to buy another car in cash, you could still look for buying a car on a loan that has a $300 a month payment instead of a $778 a month payment. And so you're still seeing an extra $400 a month in your budget, even though you still have a car loan, which I think is, I, again, you mentioned the ways that Dave Ramsey being gung-ho sometimes helps people and sometimes doesn't. He would never say, sell a car and get a different car loan. I absolutely would say that because I think, I mean, if you're stuck in a large payment that you don't like and we can't go all the way down to paying a car in cash, what's the happy medium? Well, the happy medium is getting a car loan that has a payment that is less than half of what your current payment is. So I think there's a lot of choices within there. It depends all on what you and your husband would agree to do. But I do think that at least running the numbers on what is the current value of the vehicle and what is the loan amount. And if they're at least close to each other to where you could break even, then you really could look into options for either buying a really small commuter car with a couple thousand dollars in cash or going for a vehicle that happily gets you from A to B, even maybe has a few of the bells and whistles and has a payment that is much more comfortable for you than what you have now. Sometimes we hurt ourselves by saying, well, I have to get a cheaper vehicle or a vehicle that is smaller or older or whatever. And instead, just tell yourself, I want to get a vehicle that better aligns with my priorities. And this one isn't the one that is. And that's nothing to be ashamed about. That is exactly what a competent, wise budgeter does. Shifting that mindset of the priorities of we just got done with our wedding and, so, and I was done school last year. So we really have this these next couple of years to tighten up the straps and figure out our budget, really get it going. So the feeling of prioritizing our budget over uh, the vehicle that we're driving, it's just something that we want to do. It just aligns with our priorities. And so being able to do that, I think would be really helpful toward our budget as well. And the fanciest car in the world that you get in and all you think about is the payment is not a fun thing. I'm going to get into a vehicle that's a 2018 instead of a 2021, and I'm going to be excited about it instead of thinking about the payment. I'm glad you asked that because I think that fits actually really well into what we were talking about before with making room for things. I can make small shifts, shave off $20 here in the restaurant budget and shave off 10 here in the personal spending. But then depending on how heavily you want to prioritize those goals or how ready you are to make changes, then we can go on that spectrum all the way up from, I don't just want to drop by $10 a pay period in restaurants. I want to go all the way up to cutting back my car payment in half and see these goals be lightning fast, which they will be if those kind of changes happen, which is awesome. I think that you're even just bringing that up is showing that you are ready to make those changes and that you're even closer to that kind of progress and security that you're right on the cusp of. You're doing a great job. Thank you. So between that and then this is going to sound so bad and I hope that it doesn't come off in as a negative way, but my son is go heading into kindergarten next summer. And so we only have a few more months of a daycare payment. Daycare has been the best thing for him. He's just very much a social butterfly. He thrives in the structure that they have set for daycare. But there is the big, the largest piece of my husband and I that are so excited for that huge pay raise that we're going to get. There was one point where 
our daycare expense literally lined up with our mortgage gone down a little bit since then but next summer it's like okay that's a goal like just make it to june of 23 and then we're gonna have this huge buffer and i feel like we'll really be able to see progress at that point and it's certainly something that although of course we don't want our babies to get bigger but there are perks to age (laughs) there are perks and diapers was one of them and then getting him out of daycare is going to be the next one so i feel like we'll be able to see really big strides once we're able to prioritize those funds as well you are absolutely setting yourself up for success by getting into that rhythm before that happens if you weren't already in a rhythm of we are shifting our finances completely then it would be a temptation to take all that had been going to childcare and use it for something that didn't ultimately line up with your priorities. But if between now and August next year, when kindergarten starts, by that time, you will be on autopilot with having your finances set up in a way that aligns with your priorities. So when that daycare payment drops off, instead of being like, oh, well, we could put it here, we could put it here, you're going to be so focused. I do want to encourage you to add some to your personal spending when that happens, because I think it does really help to see the tangible rewards of your progress. So like when you get to that point and you take off that $1,100 or whatever in daycare, even adding 100 a month in personal spending is going to feel like that you could buy anything now or whatever. And that still leaves $800 towards your goals. So balancing a little bit of fun with a lot of bit of your goals is the way that you're going to be like, this is absolutely working and we're having fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We'll certainly add a little bit to the fun. Well, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed talking to you. I'm thrilled that we have this conversation between you and I about where the rubber meets the road. How do we actually put our real life into this budget that we've set up? And I think a lot of people are going to benefit from being like, okay, I can make it reasonable and realistic for my real life too. So I'm, I'm just super grateful that you were willing to come on and share about that. Can't we all relate to Kellyanne's questions and frustrations with managing the unexpected while trying to budget accurately? I think she'll find a lot of relief adding a budget buffer to her budget that gives permission to be flexible while still prioritizing her goals. If you find your budget getting messy as soon as the unexpected pops up, try adding a budget buffer of at least $50 per week to your budget as your first line of defense. None of us can plan our expenses perfectly or remember everything. This buffer will give you the flexibility and confidence you're looking for to stay on track, even when the little things in life pop up like gloves, mailing a package, or heading out for a last-minute girls' night. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Mom Podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom Podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances.